Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. If you got your Bibles, it's okay to laugh. God has a sense of humor. If you have your Bibles, turn with me. Uh, to the book of Acts chapter 16. I believe God's got a special word for you guys tonight. Uh, I believe God's going to do something significant. Uh, Acts chapter 16, verse 16. If you're there, say I'm there. If you're not, say hold up. If you don't have a Bible, say I don't have a Bible. Scary. It is on the screen, but please, I encourage you as a believer in Christ, get a Bible. It's just so awesome to have a Bible and open it and read it, and it's just inspiring, you know, it's the Word of God. I'm just joking. Acts chapter 16, verse 16. Anyone with the genuine leather out there? You got the old school, the real deal? That's a man of God right there. Hang on to that guy. Anyone else? Okay, girl, I see you. Who else do we got? There you go, real deal, genuine leather, not the pleather. Acts chapter 16, verse 16. I'll be reading from the never incorrect version, also known as the NIV version. It says, once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. Verse 19, when her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into a marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates to face the authorities, they brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Verse 22, the crowd joined them in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After that, they had been severely flogged. They were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell, fastened their feet, in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying, singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a violent earthquake. The foundation of the prisons were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open. All the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We are all here. You still with me? Verse 29. The jailer called for the lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into the house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because... He had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. What a revival. Would you pray with me tonight? Father God, I just thank you. 
uh, for this incredible opportunity. God, I thank you for each person here that's represented. I thank you for each family, each business, each life that's represented. God, I thank you for each destiny that's represented, each dream that's represented. God, I know that we've come in here tonight maybe with our circumstances, our situations, our issues, our problems. God, we've come in here tonight maybe hurting, maybe lost, maybe lonely, maybe broken, God, and, I, and we're in need of something. God, I thank you, Lord, that no one came to hear me speak tonight, but we came to encounter the God that is our answer to the something that we're looking for. God, I thank you, Lord, that we don't have to wait for an altar call to have an encounter. We don't have to wait for a prayer time to experience a miracle. I pray right now that your presence would be released in this place to do what no man can do, God. We don't want service as usual. We don't want a Sunday night as normal, God, but we want something significant, something special, something unique. God, we're desperate for you to do something tonight. God, I don't want to stand on a platform, but I want to become the platform that you stand on tonight, that you would have made famous tonight. I pray, Lord, that you would anoint my words, that they would be fiery darts that penetrate hearts, igniting people back to purpose, back to promise, back to destiny, and back to life. I pray, God, that you would do something special. I thank you for what's already been done this week. God, as we're, I'm not ministering in a bunch of different churches, but we're ministering in one church. There's only one church in Australia, and it's your church. So we love you tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you love them, say amen. amen. Well, for those of you who don't know uh, me, which is probably most of you, uh, I've been on a wonderful journey these last really few years of my life. And uh, I was a businessman by trade, and I was a missionary's kid. I lived in 100 houses before I was 25. And so what I'm doing now is everything I said I'd never do. Ministry was my, my nightmare. When I met my wife, she said, I'll never marry a pastor, a missionary, a minister, or a missionary. And I said, phenomenal, I mean, credit criteria. Basically, she's like, I'll never marry a Christian, but that's not true. She said, I'll never marry a pastor, a missionary, a minister, or, or a missionary. And I said, I'll never be these things. And, and then God, in the last few years of a life, has just caught us up in his goodness and his grace. And we find ourselves, because of this crazy love for God, doing things that we never thought we would do. And one of those things is moving our entire family from beautiful, sunny Southern California to Michigan. Michigan is uh, a cold, rainy, wet icy, did I say cold, uh, place in the United States. And we just took this journey 70 days ago. Just sold our house, sold our cars, left everything, and now we've taken over a church and we run a ministry there. Um, but moving is not fun. Anyone moved before? Anyone move over 100 times? Wow, we're praying for you when the service is over. One person. Well, I've moved over 100 times, so with that being the case, I'm not fond of moving, which is why I've stayed put for 15 years in Southern California. And then God asked me to move, and I started manifesting demons because I'm not fond of moving. I don't like the moving process. It's not exciting. It reveals aspects of yourself that you didn't expect to see. You didn't realize that your grace levels are quite low, or maybe your patience with your family is not where you, you thought it to be. And, and then, of course, at this time in our life, I have a, a daughter turning four, and then I have a five month old son so in this moving process we had an infant like just to make things crazier like where do you put an infant I accidentally packed him he was gone for like two days we found him later he's in bubble wrap it was cool it was like a supernatural provision he was like Jonah in the well and then he came back out so it's all good but we we literally went through this entire process and and moving also has a unique way to reveal to you the junk in your life that you've kept now I would like to say the junk in her life 
that she's kept. Because most of this junk, or as my wife would call it, her special things, most of this junk or, or garbage, which, which I would call it, it, it had been attracted over nine years of doing life. And not just nine years, but really my wife's whole life, she had been gathering things. So during this process, of course, you have to go through the garage and find these unbelievable, significant, important things that you can't get rid of, but you can store them in boxes in your garage and never look at them, but you can't throw them away. You didn't even know you had them until you started unpacking them just to repack them. You can tell how much I love the process. And then you find photos they can't let go of that are like a 1979 filter on Instagram where you're like, literally, this thing's been burned all over the place. Like, let's just get rid of it. Or, you know, so in this process, I really, just to be honest, because just so you guys, you guys don't know me, but this is my time to just get stuff off my chest. I don't know what God's going to do, but I just feel better right now. And I just, this is kind of like my counseling session where I just walk through my problems, if you're okay with that. And so as I'm going through all this, I have this novel idea. Let's burn it all. A couple of pyros start laughing. Thank God, finally, <laughs> finally permission to burn it. He said it. The man of God said it. I literally was like, let's just throw everything in our front lawn. Let's just lock the keys of the house and let's just burn it all. Let's burn all of your stuff that you've kept for so long. You hoarder, but I love you so much, baby. Please don't leave me and ever listen to this message on podcast because I'll be apologizing forever. So as I'm going through all of this stuff that literally I'm trying to throw away and I'm like, listen, I know you drew this when you were in third grade, but guess what? Our daughter's pumping this stuff out like crazy right now. You know, and I know you went through a Picasso era and literally you thought you're the Rembrandt of third graders, but come on, let's just change Anaya's name, my daughter's name, and put Amber on a few of these. And then you can think like they're yours. We gotta dump some of this stuff. And as I'm going through all of my wife's, my wife's incredible, I feel so bad already. But as I'm going through all of my wife's stuff that she has, I come across this box. And this box literally said, Amber's Keepsakes. As I found this box, it was literally like the clouds had opened and a light literally began to shine from heaven. And I heard the angelic choir begin to sing. And it was like, ah, like we had found a special treasure. And as I began to throw things away from this box, I'm just joking. <laughs> as I opened this box and was getting ready to find things to throw away, I literally started going through it and, and it was crazy because what was in this box was every special moment that we had had in our relationship. Literally every special thing that, that, that we had done, every stage of our relationship, she literally kept. And I, I found like the first, I remember taking to her a baseball game and like I was in college or uni as you would call it at the time, so I was broke. So this was like the first time I ever legitimately spent money. And so she like kept the tickets being like, okay, I knew there was hope for this guy. He wasn't gonna be broke for the rest of his life. And, and, and dinner, and literally dinner receipts, like, oh, he took me out. And she like kept the receipt. And as I was going through it, then I found like a lock of my hair, which is a little awkward. I'm just joking, there's no lock. And, and, and I'm, starting to go through, I'm starting to go through this box and literally there's a stage of our relationship where I literally was gone from her for like 21 days and I wrote a letter for every day. Not a note, not an I love you. I literally wrote a letter for every day that I was gonna be away from her. And as I start going through this box, it dawned on me the crazy things we do for love. 
it dawned on me. I don't know what your relationship looks like right now or if you're married or in a, in a dating scenario or how long you've been married, but when you first experience this love, this, this authentic, real love between you and another human being, it causes us to do crazy, irrational things. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Like, I remember, like, when we were dating, like, you would hang out all day long with this person. Like, it didn't matter what you were doing. You would hang out all day, and it was just awesome, and, and you loved it. But, of course, you know, in that stage of life, like, because you've been hanging out all day, you've also been holding your gas all day. And, and, and your stomach, you know what I'm talking about, guys. Let's just be real. The girls don't have this problem because they don't fart. It's just the way that it works. But guys, on the other hand, all day long, we're literally holding your gas. And, and although you want to hug at the end, if they touch you, you will explode. <laughs> So you're like, you know, we've hugged and kissed enough. Like, I, I, I love you so much, but you gotta get out of the car and don't touch my stomach. I'm like a ticking time bomb. And then, and then you let her out of the car and as soon as you like literally drive away, it's just like Like just severe pains, letting sounds out that even God hasn't heard before. Just crazy, these aren't worship sounds. These are mo mourning and groaning sounds. And then all of a sudden your cell phone rings and literally they're like, oh, hey, babe, you got to come back. I, I left my purse in the car. What? Oh, no, I'll, I'll mail it to you. Check your mailbox in a week. Like I'm sending it to you. Like, no, I need it tonight. Okay, I'm going to come by your house. I'm going to roll down the window. Don't come near me. I'm going to throw it out like a Frisbee. Like, you know, you drive by. You're like, here it is. And roll it up. Bye, bye. I'll talk to you later. The crazy things you do because you're in this relationship and this crazy things you do because you, you start loving somebody and you're falling in love with them. I remember like the phone conversations. After seeing this person for eight hours in the day, then you stay on the phone with them for another three hours. You literally, let's be honest, if you're, if you're 22, you don't have that much to talk about. Like after the first two months of dating, you've gone through every day of your life. Like literally you've walked them through, well, when I was four, I used a binky and then I started walking. Like you've got nothing else to talk about. So you just scroll through Facebook and you just start like reading off people's statuses. Oh yeah, they broke up. They're together. Uh, yeah, more criminal activity in the news. And like, you don't know what to talk about. And then of course, you know that the last hour of the conversation is simply breathing. <sighs> I just want to listen to you breathe, baby. And you just breathe for an hour. Literally, it's just both of you just breathing. And then you get to the hang-up process, and it's like, you know what I'm talking about. No, 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 you hang up. No, 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 you hang up. No, baby girl, you'll never hear the dial tone with me. No, you hang up. No, I wouldn't hang up on you, baby. No, 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 you hang up. And this goes on forever. Literally, you hang up. You hang up. You hang up. No, you hang up. Okay, let's just listen to me breathe. All right, you hang up. No, you hang up. No, I won't hang up on you. And then you get to the end and you do, you know what I'm talking about? You do the fake hang up. All right, I love you, baby. I got to go. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Are you there? Yeah, baby, I'm here. You know that I'm here. I can't hang up on you. You hang up. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. The crazy things we do for love. I looked at this box and I found, I mean, there was a stage where I was like just trying to go, I mean, I love this woman so much. Like I thought I was a player in college and then I met my wife and I was like, I will die for you. Whatever you want. Like I, I'm yours. Like you got it. So I remember like it was her birthday and I wanted to do something special. And I was like, you know, I'm going to fill the house with balloons. One o'clock in the morning on the ground about to pass out. <laughs> Seven balloons have been filled in the last four hours. But I, I'm doing it because of this crazy life. I literally live three hours away and I drive out for the weekend just for a night and then literally drive back to work. And I would do this all the time. I remember one time because, listen, guys, if you've been married for a while, your wife no longer wants you to buy your gifts. She needs creativity. Oh, it's easy to buy me something. 
but I need you to be creative. Listen, I wasn't good in art, okay? I got a C in art. Like, I, I'm not creative with this stuff. So, so I remember being like, I'm going to step up my game. And I go, you know what I'm going to do? It's a birthday. I'm going to cut out with two-tone colors of paper the words, I love you and happy birthday. And I'm going to get some fishing string. I'm going to cut holes through these little tops of these cards. And I'm going to hang it from the ceiling so when she wakes up in the morning, floating in front of her is I heart you. And then happy birthday. Lots of characters. I was an idiot, okay? Happy birthday. I start this project at 10.30 at night. This is a true story. I'm not making anything up. 4 a.m. in the morning. I'm still cutting these stinking pieces of paper. You know, if you make a mistake, you got to start all over again. Apparently, I'm not that great at hearts, okay? I made diamonds and stars and octagons, but I just couldn't get the curves of the heart. And at 4 a.m., she literally walks out and she's like, babe, what are you doing? I'm like, babe, what are you doing? Get back in your room. And she's like, why are you up? And I'm like, why are you up? It's my birthday tomorrow. Why aren't you asleep? I'm working on something. I love you. Shut up. Go to bed. <laughs> She's like, I want you to be fresh in the morning. I'm going to be fresh. You're going to be surprised. Trust me. Don't look in here. And then literally working for another 30 minutes on literally this I love you. And then waking up 45 minutes later after going to bed to make her pancakes. I'm just crazy. I literally, love causes you. Anybody with me? Love causes you to do irrational things, crazy things. It causes you to do things you thought you would never do. And if you think a love for a spouse is amazing, wait till you have a kid. Now, I don't know if it's the same after you've had six kids, like your parents. After you have six kids, you gotta start a nonprofit called Feed the Children. You gotta start raising money. But at least the first few kids, I mean, because you, you, you meet this other person, you're like, oh, I'm in love with them. It's just amazing. And then all of a sudden you give birth to a kid and it's more than just some person you've met after years of life. You get to see them from the beginning and guess what? They look like you. And you see their smile and you, that's your smile. And, and that's, unfortunately, those are my thighs. And, you know, you, you just fall in love with this, this person. And if you thought like loving your spouse was crazy, irrational, illogical, think about the kids. Think about some of the crazy things we do for our children. Think about the money we save. Think about the stuff we buy. I mean, I never had growing up like a $70 pairs of shoes. Like we were poor missionaries. And like my, my son can't even walk and he's wearing Jordans. Like, what do you do with those things? I'm like dragging his feet just to get the use out of it. Oh, I'm going to get my money's worth, son. I'm just dragging it on the ground. We're going to wear the treads out on your Jordans. I know you're only five months, but you better start walking soon. I paid 70 bucks for those shoes. The things we do for these kids and, and literally, well, we, we don't sleep for weeks. I remember my son is like, we didn't sleep for 32 days. That's, that's what you call torture techniques. That's how people like get, get broken, you know, like when they're caught in acts of war and like people are like, hey, how's it going with your son? Oh, we love him. <laughs> Haven't slept for a year, <laughs> but we love it. We'll do it for him. It's this irrational, crazy love that we have for these kids. I remember the other day because I'm still madly in love with my wife after nine years. I mean, she's amazing. She's my hero. And that love, I can tell you, doesn't stop, you know, for your spouse. Like, it can, it can be a honeymoon every day. I don't know what people have told you, but guess what? It doesn't have to be like the rest of the world. We have a different culture, and I'm just in love with her, and, and I'm traveling a lot, and I'm loving my kids. And I go, babe, you know what I want to do? You, you've got the kids all the time. I'm going to send you out on a massage. 90 minutes, just a massage and get a pedicure, take your time, and I'm just going to be a dad, and I'm going to watch my kids. I'm just, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a father. Like, go out and do it. And so she does this, and then I find myself alone with my two kids. 
has literally trying to get a hold of the leader of the youth group, like bring some kids over. I need people to watch me watch my kids because I had never been alone with both of them. And so, of course, I'm trying to be a great dad, and, and I have my daughter who's three and a half, and I have my son, and, and this is what we do because of this irra- irrational, crazy, illogical love. You know, we do whatever they ask us. Hey, Dad, let's play stickers. Of course, and I, I love to play stickers. So I'm playing stickers with her, and then I can tell that Dalen's hungry, and so, like, I'm grabbing Dalen, and Dalen's literally 11 kgs at five months. This kid's a freak. He's been hanging out in the bathrooms around here. And so... <laughs> And so I'm holding Dalen, I'm literally trying to feed him with a bottle, and at the same time I'm popping a sticker down, and I'm popping a sticker down, and then I get some stickers on my pants, and Dalen takes seven ounces down, and he needs to burp, so then I start burping him, and then all of a sudden he throws up on my shoulder. I got stickers on my pants, I got throw up on my shoulder, but I'm just loving it, and then I can tell he's blown up in his diaper, so I begin to change his nappy, and he literally urinates on me. (laughs) Never been happy to be peed on in my life, just go ahead, son. I love you. Literally just pees on me. Now I got pee on, pee on my shirt. I got throw up on my shoulder. I got stickers on my pants. And then my daughter goes, Daddy, let's finger paint. Of course. I love you. And I, the best time we could possibly finger paint is right now when mom's gone and I got Dalen. And so I'm literally holding Dalen. I'm like finger painting with one hand. I'm holding my son. I got throw up on my, my, I got throw up on my shirt. I got stickers on my pants. I got pee on my shirt. And now all of a sudden I got paint on Dalen and I got paint on my hands. And then my daughter looks at me and you got to imagine, I got throw up on one shoulder. I got pee on my shirt, I got stickers on my pants, I got paint on my hand, and then Anaya goes, Daddy, let's dance. (laughs) Of course, I would love to dance right now. So there's this grown man, 32 years of age, in my living room, true story, not taking preacher liberty, because I love them. I'm sitting there with stickers on my pants, and pee on my shirt, and throw up on my shoulder, and paint on my hands, and my son in one hand, and a Mickey Mouse doll in the other hand, and I'm twirling. I'm twirling around the living room, no big deal, just spinning. Let it go, let it go, don't hold it back anymore. Let it go, let it go. And then I just start crying, I don't care where we're getting. Cold never by me. God bless Frozen. I'm a grown, this is a true story, I lost it. I'm a grown man with stickers on my pants and throw up on my shoulder and pee on my shirt and paint on my hands and paint on my son, and I'm losing it. I had let it go because of this irrational, unconditional, uncontrollable love for these kids. And when I think about this irrational unconditional, illogical sometimes love that we could have for a spouse or have for our children, I realize that that love does not compare, does not come close to the love that our Father God has for us. I realize that the love that I could have for them is nowhere near in comparison to the love that our Father God has for us. You need to hear something tonight, friend. Our God is love. 
Not all love is God, and love is not the deity that we worship, but our God is love, and his love is not like human love. His love is unconditional. His love is illogical. His love is irrational. And from the moment he birthed us into existence, he literally became obsessed with his creation. He became infatuated with us. He can't get enough with us. We are the unique possession of God, the creator, and he's obsessed with his creation, and his love for us is irrational. John 3.16 tells us that God so loved the world that he so, he didn't just love it, he loved it beyond reality, beyond reason, that he's literally captivated by us. The book we read called the Bible, many consider a judge story, but I see it as a love story, the irrational love of a creator God with his unique obsession for his unique creation, humanity. He's in love with us. Paul tries to explain the difference between God's love and human's love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 through 8. It says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. Listen, as you're hearing this, you need to understand this. This is not our love. Our love keeps record of wrong. Our love is self-seeking. Our love will make mistakes. Our love will fail. This is actually the worst thing that could be written on a Valentine's Day card. It's a standard humanity can't live up to. This is Paul speaking of only of God's love. It says, this love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. This love never fails. Look to your neighbor and say, this love never fails. I love what the English translation says. It says it bears all things, believes all things, it hopes all things. This love never dies. The love that this creator has for us believes everything in you, hopes everything in you, bets always on you, can never be removed from you. This love never dies. You need to know something. God, no matter where you're at in your walk or your journey or your life or your experiences, no matter what you did last week, last year, or last hour, no matter what you've been doing, this God is absolutely infatuated by you. When it says he so loved the world, that world, that word world includes you in it. And although we fell into humanity, he couldn't get enough with us. He's been chasing us since the fall of man, saying, I have to reinstate myself with these people. I just want to make it right so I can be with them. I want to go back to dwelling with them, to being their friends, to walking with them in the garden. That literally he sends his son, the creator of everything, begins to put on his creation. God puts skin on and he begins to dwell in the filth of humanity and embraces it with every inch and every ounce of his blood that he has. And he doesn't just walk among us. He dies for us and he lays down his life because he simply loves us. And if you're like me, I ask myself the question, how do I respond to this type of love? What is my response? I don't know if you're like me, but in my journey, I don't want to just be a consumer. I want to be a contributor. I don't want this just about me only receiving what God has. I want to, be, I want to add to the equation. I don't want to just be chased by his love. I want to turn around and be on pursuit of him. I want to make a difference. I want to smack dab, find myself in the midst of his love because I've given my love back to him. And I ask myself, God, how do I respond? Your love's unconditional. It's illogical. It's irrational. 
irrational. It's unreasonable. It's scandalous. What should I do with this type of love? Romans 12, I think Paul answers this question. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. I want you to notice this passage. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Paul begins to describe what he, the, the type of thing we should offer. But if you look at the end of the verse, it shows us what our response should be. True and proper worship. He says, in view of God's mercies, worship. In view of God's goodness, worship. In view of God's grace, worship. In view of God's love for you, worship. In view of his unconditional, unreasonable, illogical, irrational love, worship. In response to what God's done for our life, in response to the love that he's displayed for our lives, in response to his sacrifice, our reasonable response is to worship him. Our reasonable response is to praise him. Our reasonable response is to shout the name Jesus and to give him glory and to give him praise. Our reasonable response is to give him worship. Unconditional love, guess what, deserves unconditional worship. Unreasonable love deserves unreasonable worship. Irrational love, my friend, guess what, deserves the response of irrational worship. Our response to God's love for us is to worship him. And worship brings us into a realm and a reality we can never experience without it. I love the fact of the story we opened up with Paul and Silas, who literally, you read the, we read the story, they get thrown in the prison for doing the right thing. I want you to get something. You could find yourself in a prison by doing the right thing. They weren't in the prison for doing the wrong thing. They were simply proclaiming the name of Jesus and now found themselves not just in prison, but chained, beaten, abused, broken, and bleeding. Guess what, my friend? You could be doing some of the right things lately and find yourself in a pit and find yourself in a prison and find yourself in a lion's den. You can find yourself with adversity. It doesn't mean you've done anything right. It's wrong. It just means that God's making you the man and the woman he wants you to be. They find themselves in a prison for doing the right thing. Don't be discouraged where you're at. There's a few people in here, and I can feel it, that you've said, I've loved, and now I'm being persecuted. I've given, and now people are trying to steal. I've done things I've never done before for Jesus, and it's not working out the way I thought it would be. Guess what, my friend? The story's not over. Don't be discouraged where you're at, especially if you got there for doing the right thing. They find themselves in a prison for doing the right thing. They've been beaten. They've been chained. They're bleeding. They've been sentenced. My logical, reasonable response at this point would not be to pray. It'd be to get upset. It'd be to be frustrated. My logical response at this point would not be to worship. But guess what? His love isn't logical. It's unreasonable. His love isn't conditional. It's unconditional. His, his love isn't rational. It's irrational. So although they find themselves beaten, broken, and bruised in prison for the wrong reason, they still find themselves desiring to give him praise, desiring to give him worship. And their prayer begins to turn into a sway. And their words begin to turn into a worship song. And all of a sudden, they begin to sing and worship God for no reason. They begin to worship 
worship him when it doesn't look like there's a breakthrough. They begin to praise him when it doesn't look like there's going to be a victory. They've been caught, they're bound, they're broken, and they're beating. But they said, I don't need a reason to worship him. I don't need, I don't need blessing to be a blessing. I don't need love to simply be a lover. I can give him regardless of the circumstance. Preaching better than you're responding. They begin to worship him. And notice what's happened. The sound that they release begins to shake the very fabric of the world around them. When you worship God for no reason, you actually release a sound that the world can't work with. You actually begin to shake the very nature of everything that can be shaken. The only thing left that stands after true and proper worship, unreasonable worship, is kingdom. The only thing that's left when you begin to release a sound, when everything around you looks ugly and looks dark and looks like you have no way out, the only thing that will be left is kingdom and truth and spirit. Because let me tell you something, the chains can cage your worship. The prisons can bind your worship. Worship does not live within this world. Worship is from a different world and it begins to shake the world around us so much so that the foundation shakes and the gates are open and the chains come off. Worship takes you into a freedom that you never could pay for. Worship can take you into a season that even your maturity can't handle yet. Worship can take you places. Let me tell you something, friend. Worship can take you places you might not be ready to go, but when you do it for no reason, if you worship God for no reason, there's no reason that can keep you from worshiping him. When you worship him and love him for no reason, there's nothing. Look at Job and his trial and tribulation. The devil took everything away from him. The devil took away his family, his finances, his business, his livelihood, afflicted his body. And at the end, he said, I'm still going to give you praise. And nothing could literally rob his worship because he worshiped God when there was no reason to worship him. I want you to notice something. Not only did their chains come off, but Acts 16.21 says, and once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Your worship's not just about you. Your worship's not just for your circumstances. Your worship's not just for your situation. Do you realize that you can actually release a sound that sets other people free? That you actually can release a sound of praise, a sound of thankfulness, a sound of gratitude, a sound of love, an irrational praise to God because of his irrational love that sets your neighbors free, that sets your families free, that sets the lost free. That you actually could begin to release the sound that enters a city into freedom that it didn't pay for. Think about it. Were these other people in prison for doing the wrong thing or for doing the right thing? They could have been in prison for doing the wrong thing. They could have deserved to be in prison, but worship paid for their freedom. Do you realize there's some people around you that you go, you know, they deserve to be judged. They deserve to be persecuted. They deserve to go through it. Well, guess what? Your worship actually pays for their freedom. You can actually have corrupt leaders, but your worship brings them into purity. You can actually have broken families, but your worship brings them into wholeness. When you release a sound for him, you actually can pay a price in your worship that sets other people around you free. You think you're at prison at work? Well, guess what? Turn it into a place of worship. You think your marriage is falling apart? Well, you might need to turn that into a place of worship. You can set your spouse free simply by your level of worship. You can set your kids free. You got some kids that are addicted and you feel like you're surrounded by prison guards 
words with your children, guess what? Turn your house into a place of worship. Turn your car into a place of worship. Everywhere you go should be a place of worship that literally begins to shake the world around you and provide a freedom that they never could enter into and don't necessarily deserve. <laughs> Can we get the band up? I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm so sorry. This worship thing's got me crazy. Can I let you in on a little secret? Thank you. Not, rhetor not rhetorical. The devil hates when you worship. The devil cannot stand it when you worship God. The devil gets irritated when you worship him. He can't handle it when you worship him. He can't stand it. You want to know why? Worship was his job. Worship was why he was created. The Bible tells us that Lucifer was an anointed cherub that was made and faceted with instruments in his body, that he was the one who woke the angelic choirs in the morning to stand to attention and begin to give God praise. But one day, this creation that was made to worship began to turn the direction of their worship off of God and towards themselves. Let me tell you something, friend. As soon as you begin to take what's only for God and bring it to yourself, as soon as you begin to take the worship that's supposed to go towards God and bring it to yourself, you're about to crush your life and your destiny because the fabric of humanity and the framework of a man and a woman cannot handle the weight of worship that's supposed to go to God. The fabric and the framework of humanity and of angels and of creation cannot handle worship that was made to go to God. Only the creator can handle the weight of worship. Only the creator has a framework and a body that actually can carry the praise of another. So when we begin to praise ourselves or praise somebody else, they're bound to fall. They're bound to collapse because their framework can't carry worship that was made for God. Anytime you worship celebrities, look at history. You begin to worship a man or a woman. What happens to these guys? They commit suicide. They fall into addiction. They literally go into depression. They have everything at their fingertips, but their framework wasn't made to carry worship. As soon as you begin to worship another person or yourself and think you've actually arrived or you're entitled to a microphone or a stage or a parking spot or you're entitled to something that God paid a price for and you begin to allow the weight of worship to rest on your shoulders, you're bound to fall because your framework can't carry God's worship. <laughs> so the devil turns the attention of worship on himself and you know the story God boots him out of heaven you gotta think he wakes up the next day and he looks around and he realizes that there's an emptiness in the heavenly choir he looks around and a third of the angels have now left and, and, and his main worshiper his, his star of the show that literally awoken the angels is now gone. And he realizes he has a problem. What is he gonna do? There's people missing in the choir. The, the sound's gonna be a little different. He looks down at this chaotic, dry wasteland called Earth, and he begins to send his spirit there and hover over it and begin to create order out of chaos and begins to create life out of dead things. And then he takes the very fabric of the world the enemy is occupying. He actually takes the very dust 
of, of, of the fabric of this world that the enemy's occupying. And you know what he says? I'm going to create the greatest instrument, worship instrument in history. And he begins to form us. And he begins to say, you know what? Well, well the enemy was made of instruments, so I'm going to make mankind made of instruments. So he begins to take our, our, our lungs and he creates the windpipes in our lungs. And he begins to create percussion in our hands. And he begins to create the chords and strings and our vocal cords. And all of a sudden, he creates an instrument of worship that can give him praise that can give him glory, that can give him honor. He begins to create the perfect worship instrument. And you need to understand something, friend. When we worship God, it's different than when an angel worships God. When we worship him, it's different than any creating thing that worships him. Because worship was created in heaven, but it was perfected by humanity. Think about it. Every day, angels sit there, and of course, they've mastered their sound and their song, and, and they've been singing for ages, thousands upon thousands of years, and, and they know the, the tunes and the octaves, and they have abilities that maybe we don't have, but every day, they're in the presence of God. Every day, they see God face to face, but think of humanity. Many of us, if not all of us, have never seen God face to face. You've probably spent lots of your life not waking up every morning in heaven, feeling the presence of God. Has an angel ever gotten a doctor's note saying they have cancer? Have an angel ever gotten a note from the bank saying they're going to lose their house or their business is gonna close down? Has an angel ever had a look at their bank account and realized they're not gonna be able to feed their family this week? Has an angel ever gotten you know, into the hospital and had to sit there next to their four-year-old girl who's burning up with a fever, watching her die through the night? Has the angel ever lost a loved one? Has the angel ever had to endure suffering? Has angels ever had to walk through the valleys of the shadow of death through trials and tribulations? No, angels haven't easy in heaven. They're surrounded by God every day and see the raw goodness and glory and awe of his mercy. But humanity, we don't necessarily see him all the time. We don't feel him all the time. And we endure things that the angelic host never goes to. So when we give God a praise, despite our circumstance. When we say, I don't care if my child is sick, I'm going to praise you. I don't care if the doctor gives me a bad report, I'm going to praise you. I don't care if I've gone through abuse, or I've gone through suffering, or I've gone through trial, or I've gone through tribulation, or I've gone through a struggle. God, I'm still going to give you praise. I'm still going to give you glory. I'm still going to worship you, your name. I don't need a reason to worship you because unconditional love deserves unconditional worship. Unreasonable love deserves unreasonable worship. Illogical, irrational love deserves illogical, irrational worship. Can we praise him, church? If you got a little breath left in you, can you give him a praise? Do you got a song left? Is he worth your voice? Is he worth your life? Is he worth your worship? Give him some glory for a second tonight. We worship him. It's different than when anything else created worships him. We were made for worship. We were crafted, detailed, and ornate to make a sound beyond reason, beyond logic. You know, I've often thought about what am I going to do when I get to heaven, and I originally had the first 25 years planned out of my heaven journey. Lots of DVD, Blu-ray, high def, IMAX, watching all the stories all over again. Definitely gonna hang out with Peter, chill with Lazarus for three days in the grave, see what it was like, 
check out where the Red Sea's at, you know, like how's it opening? Can you see the fish swimming? I mean, we got lots of things to do when we get to heaven. But now that I know I was created and what the devil could never do, what the devil failed to do, when I get to heaven, I'm gonna run right past Peter, James, and John. Although we have lots of time to hang out, I'm not gonna camp there when I first get to heaven. I'm gonna go right past Elijah and Elisha, even though Elisha got the double portion, we can figure out how to call down fire later. I'm gonna spend some time with David, but not on this day, because although he had a sling and he killed Goliath and he was a king and a man after God's own heart, today is not the day we're hanging him. And of course, I have eternity to spend with Solomon and him to unpack all of his wisdom. And, and I'm gonna walk right past Daniel, who hung out in the lion's den, and I'm gonna go past Rahab, the prostitute who God saved, who was recognized in the Bible, and I'm going to go past Moses, and of course Abraham, and are the father of our faith, and I'm going to walk past you know, all the different legends of the faith, and I'm going to say, can you take me to the worship room? And I'm just going to run right into the worship room where the choir is and where the angels are, and I'm going to ask the simple question, can you show me the spot? Can you show me the spot? You might say, Jedediah, what spot? the spot where Lucifer stood. Can you show me the empty spot in the choir where Lucifer stood? And as I can tell you right now, as I get there, I'm just going to begin to bubble up with worship inside of me. As I make my way to this empty place, I'm going to begin to just show the devil what it looks like to worship. I'm going to begin to show the devil what it looks like to praise. I'm just going to begin to stand there and say, devil, this is what you could not do that I was created to do. God, I love you. God, you're so good. God, I'm thankful I made it. God, I'm thankful you saved me. God, I'm thankful you restored me. God, I'm going to give you praise. Devil, this is what it looks like to worship. What caused you to fall is what made me rise. What brought you low is what brought me high. What you could never do when there was no devil, I did every day when there was a devil. I did with trial, with persecution. I did it every day. This is what it looks like to worship him. This is what it looks like to respond to an unreasonable, unconditional, illogical, irrational love. It's to give him back in response. Unconditional, irrational, illogical worship. I've gone over a few minutes and I'm going to end right now. I believe God wants to take us into a very specific act, and we're going to end the service and apologize for taking a little liberty. I've had this message on my heart. I actually released it at Edge Church at the beginning of the week. So we're starting with worship and we're ending with worship. I believe God's releasing a sound all throughout Australia right now. There's a new era of churches emerging. There's a new breed of Christians arising. There's a new people group that God is setting apart that are called for this specific time. And they're going to have a specific sound and a specific song that they sing that the walls of the city can't handle. You know, this isn't the only time in scripture we see some people worship in prison bars break and prison walls shake and a wall falls down. Many of you probably know the story of Joshua and the Battle of Jericho. I'll preface quickly and we're going to end with this. They come, they cross over the Jordan, they 
are on the promised land, but they still have some battles to fight. You know, many of you tonight in this church, in your church, is in promise, but there's still some battles to fight. This has been a 20-year journey to promises that have now become fulfilled. But guess what? There's a reason why there's a heart for the house offering going on. There's a reason why they're asking us to do more and to believe more. They're asking us to give something, to respond, because there's still some battles to fight. Because it's not over. Because 1,500 people is not enough. Because this church building is not enough. Because the outreach programs are not enough. And although you've done some great things, we have to give him an unreasonable worship, an unreasonable offering, an unconditional offering, an irrevocable gift. You're in the promised land, but there's still some battles to fight. And the first battle that they fight is Jericho. And you know the story. God calls them to march around six days in a row, literally blowing the trumpets. And then on the seventh day, they march around six more times. And on the seventh time, they release a shout. They release a shout. And if you were to look at the story of the Israelites crossing over the Jordan. Do you realize that on the other side of the Jordan, God showed up with manna every day, supernatural provision. But as soon as they cross over, the Bible no longer records them having any manna. Hear me. The Bible no longer records them having any provision, having any food. So if you imagine these Israelites are walking around in the promised land starving. They have no food. God stopped providing them the same way. If they don't take over Jericho, they're actually going to starve. If they don't occupy this first battle, if they don't win this first battle, they will die. It's either occupy or die. There's some things God's taking this church to, new territories, new places. And if you don't occupy it, the church will die. And there's actually a new provision in this new possession in the season that God's taking you into. So imagine, they're actually starving. And then God says, I want you to march around. They're already starving, and now they're getting physically exhausted. God marches them around a massive city wall six days in a row, every day. And on the seventh day, he marches them around six times. you got to imagine, they're tired, they're starving, and they're exhausted. God had worn out their flesh, so the only thing that was left was their spirit. God had exhausted their flesh. See, the reality is, friend, when we get in fights, if we have flesh to fight with it, we'll fight with it. Many of us get into battles, and guess what? If you have the ability to fight in the natural, you will fight in the natural. You'll get dirty. You'll throw punches. You'll do things that aren't godly. The reality is, is if you can fight with your flesh, most of us will. So God drains our flesh. So all that we have left to fight with is spirit. Some of you are so exhausted right now in this walk of faith. Some of you maybe have been in addiction or maybe been in a trial or tribulation. And you're going, I'm worn out. I have no energy. My flesh is tired. And God's saying, that's right. I've worn out your flesh. So all that you have left is your spirit. So they march around literally six days in a row. Seventh day, they march around six times. And on the seventh day, at the seventh time, they release a shout. And God says these words. He says, shout for the city is yours and everything in it will be devoted to God. God has exhausted many of you, has exhausted your flesh, so all that you have left is one breath. God literally starved them and then marched them. So all that they had left was one breath. And then he said, and if you got one breath left, will you give me a shout? If you have one breath left with your spirit, can you give me a praise? If you have one left breath, can you still give me glory? 
You need to understand something. The walls of the city can't handle the weight of your worship. The walls of your addiction can't handle the weight of your worship. The walls of your struggle can't handle the weight of your worship. The walls of your marriage problem, your identity, your destiny, they cannot stand with the weight of your worship. There's a city in Adelaide that needs to be taken for Jesus. It's going to be because you release a sound of worship. And the level of your worship will determine the level of your breakthrough. If you want an unconditional breakthrough, you better give an unconditional worship. If you want an unreasonable breakthrough, you better give unreasonable worship. Listen, some of you that are giving into the heart for house offering, you need to take some of your pledges back because it was reasonable. It was logical. It was, it was natural, not supernatural. It was standard. It was average. It was what you can do. God's not interested in what you can do. He's interested in what he can do. Can you give him an unreasonable gift? Can you give him an unconditional gift? Can you give him an illogical gift? I'm not trying to raise money for me. I'm leaving. It's not for an offering. It's because there's a vision that's at this house that needs provision towards it. And it wants an unconditional breakthrough. So it needs to be an unconditional gift. Here's how we're going to end tonight. We're going to end with a shout. Anybody ready? Is anybody ready? In fact, I don't know if you, if you do this here. Maybe you want to come down to the front right now. Maybe you want to get out of your seat. Maybe I, I just want us to posture ourselves to give him the praise he deserves. We're going to release a shout that's going to shake this city. We're going to release a sound that begins to shake the walls of the city, the addictions of the city, the, the battles of the city. We're gonna begin, are you with me? I'm gonna give you a time to prepare yourselves. Listen, if you want an unreasonable breakthrough, I challenge you to release an unreasonable praise. If you need an unconditional breakthrough, I challenge you to release an unconditional praise. If you need a healing in your body tonight, a financial miracle, can you let out a praise in the midst of your problem to set something free? And I, I encourage you, we're gonna have a second here. We're, when I count to three, we're gonna shout. I'm not gonna tell you how long to shout. I'm not gonna tell you how loud to shout. I'm gonna let the level of your breakthrough required determine the level of your worship. I'm gonna let the level of hunger you have for your city determine the level of response you give him in worship. And don't just shout for yourself. Can you shout for someone else that's not here? Do you have a loved one that you can't even give him praise that you can worship him for? Do you have a family member that needs Jesus right now? Can you release a shout for them? Can you release a praise for the broken? Can you release a sound for those that are heartless? Can you release a sound for the poor, the widow, the orphan, those stuck in poverty, those stuck in sin? Can we set some people free tonight? Anyone else want to join me up front? Anyone else want to come a little closer? Anyone else want to get up here? There's no pressure. Do what you need to do. Whatever posture you need to be in. Listen, this is not just some crazy thing Americans do. Let's go around and get everyone to shout. It's going to be so awesome. There's a specific word for your nation right now. There's a specific sound being released. 
It's time to give him an unreasonable, unconditional, illogical, irrational worship. I'm not going to tell you how long to shout. I'm not going to tell you how loud to shout. I'm not going to preach into this thing anymore. I believe you're ready to respond. On the count of three, one, if you're ready for a breakthrough in your life, if you're ready to see the vision of this house being fulfilled, if you're ready for an unreasonable breakthrough, unconditional breakthrough, irreasonable breakthrough, if you're ready for that, on the count of three, two, are you ready to give him a praise? I want you with every breath that you have, everything that's inside of you, regardless of circumstance, regardless of situation, regardless of what he's done. Are you ready? One, two, three, yeah! Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 